This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. This is Frida Liu. You're listening to Her Vantage, where we speak to people, women of influence and leadership. I'm going to do the formal introduction. Professor Lordana Padurian is a Senior Associate Dean at the Asia School of Business and an International Faculty Fellow at MIT Sloan, where she teaches a number of various executive education programs. She's on to something new. We'll talk about that a little later. Uh, known as the unconventional professor for a direct and no-nonsense approach, she's also an entrepreneur and keynote speaker. Uh, we're here to talk about a new book aptly titled, The Job is Easy, The People are not to get some insights and the thought process behind a book. So that's a formal introduction. Hello, Professor. Good morning. So good to see you again. I tell you. So it's lovely to see you too. And uh, I'm very excited because we've been talking about this book for a long time. And you said, I'm going to get it published soon, soon. So I'm so happy to finally see this book. And and, Thank you. And I know it is the Loredana style. Um, (laughs) But okay, in a nutshell, what is the book about and what compelled you to write this book? So did you know that you inspired me to write this book? So when you wrote your last book uh, that I had the honor to be part of, And instead of writing it for your own perspective, but you actually interviewed a bunch of women. Uh, When I came to write this book, I kept thinking, to be honest, I have a great title, which is The Job is Easy, The People Are Not. A lot of my audience resonates to the title. Mm. But who am I to speak about how to become better people? Mm. Because I only have my limited, narrow perspective. And as much as I think I know it all, because we do, (laughs) let's be very honest, um, I was browsing to, through a couple of books trying to get inspired on how to write it. And then I came about your book and I was like, Frida is right. Frida is onto something. Instead of me writing about people from my perspective, let me interview people from my organization and from MIT Sloan that I think are very good at working with people. I'm not. Mm. And I don't like people very much, to be honest. Actually, the original title was supposed to be, I hate people and other management lessons. But my editor said, maybe it's a little bit too aggressive. So we ended up on the job is easy, the people are not, 10 okay. smart skills to become better people. So you are very much an inspiration. Oh, thank you. Okay, now, the, so the the book is based on 10 interviews with different professionals, uh, each presenting their views on what you call 10 smart skills. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I like that because and you can tell me a little bit about smart skills as well um, or, you know, otherwise essential skills to help us work better. So what is your biggest takeaway from all these interviews? That even if you finish reading this book, which I hope you do, the job is still going to be hard because of the people. And um If you think about the title, the job is easy, the people are not, you can actually remove the word people Mm. and replace it with I. The job is easy, I am not. Mm. Because I don't know if this is going to come as a shock to everybody listening, but (laughs) we are people too. Right. I am people too and you are people too. So we are very much responsible for making somebody's life hard. Right. So what does that mean? It means that the responsibility starts with ourselves. Right. And yesterday I just finished writing a, I mean, I just finished running a program with 45 senior leaders and I asked them to tell me what are the biggest pains about working with people. And I had a very long list. And then I said, how many of you identify as the pain causers of this? Mm. And very few people did (laughs) because Uh it's always the other one. Right. But it's not. It starts with us. That's, that was my biggest takeaway that I can't fix others, but I can fix myself. Right. And and, and half, I guess like if, you know, as you were saying, right, that's, that's one thing very difficult for all of us, right? To admit that it's our fault. Uh, It's always somebody else's fault because it's easier that way, right? Of course. Okay. And, and you also, you know, when you, when you talk, you know, you've been doing this, right? When you teach, 
teach about these skills, right? What was the audience reaction usually? So everybody loves the title because everybody resonates to the fact that their job is made hard by working with people. Uh, their first reaction is to start getting excited about talking about the people. Right. <laughs> and then I think the aha moment is when they realize they are people too. And then they take it a little bit more, um, more at heart. And yeah. people start to think honestly about, okay, what is it that I do that other people might, might not be taking seriously? And, and you know, I'm not expecting that this book is going to teach you things that you've never learned in your life. Mm-hmm. But the primary reaction of the audience is... It's both simple and profound in the sense that we talk about things that preoccupy us every day, but because we don't have the right language or the right framework, it's very hard to be productive about improving it. So you mentioned the word smart skills. So the book was actually very much driven by this idea that I had when I first moved to Malaysia eight years ago, that we are not giving soft skills the right respect by calling them soft. There's a connotation of fragility, of fluffiness, Mm -hmm. even femininity when it Mm. comes to soft skills. So we tend to put them in a corner. Mm. But the truth is, if the technical skills give you the job or get you the job, it's going to be the soft skills that allow you to keep it or not. Right. So I kept saying, I don't agree with this concept of calling them soft. So let's call them smart because if you don't practice them, you're an idiot, to be honest. (laughs) So it started with simply replacing soft and hard with smart and sharp. And then as I started replacing them, I realized that there's also a lot of skills that we don't teach in a school, Mm. grad school, undergrad, high school, we somehow expect people to know them, but where would they learn them from? Right. You don't learn the skills from the air. So while we teach a lot of smart skills in a business school, we don't teach specifically those that are required to improve the relationships between people. So I came up with 10, but to be honest, I think you can come up with your own 10. Mm. These are the ones that I observed that my students, my staff, myself need, but we never learn formally. Right. Okay. Then we'll get to your, uh, of course, there are 10, right? Uh, Top three. Mm. So uh, when I thought about the the 10 smart skills, like I said, I initially looked at what is it that we need and what is it that we're not teaching? And what are some of the things that annoys me the most about working with people? And I will start with validation. Okay. So validation, it's a very simple process of giving somebody evidence-based recognition. Like I said in the beginning, Frida, I want to thank you very much for including me in your book project because you actually taught me something. And when I came to write my book, I used your perspective. That is validation. Yes. Right. So on one hand, it makes you feel good, but it's more than that. It gives you an understanding of how your contribution helps others build forward. It's not a compliment. It's not saying you look very nice in this dress. It's not feedback either because we love to give feedback, but it's a very positive moving forward mechanism. Right. When it's used well. When it's not used well, it becomes a very toxic trait, especially by people that I call in the book validation addicts. Okay. I don't know if you ever worked with somebody who always wanted to be the center of the attention, whose work was always more important than others, who shows up in the office and has to tell you all about their day and everybody else's day doesn't matter. When something good happens, is their, uh, it's their contribution. When something bad happens, it's not. Right. They are the first ones to know everything and more than anything, Frida. They love to gossip. Gossiping is the currency of validation addicts because it gives them a sense of power and entitlement. 
entitlement. And what I learned, and I'm not a psychologist, so right. I want to put this forward. Right. What I learned is that a lot of these people are sort of balancing between being a little bit of a narcissist or a people pleaser. And there's a reason why most people are validation addicts. Mm -hmm. It turns out that for some reason or another, they have not received the type of validation they needed growing up. So now they are trying to get it from somewhere else, but they're very toxic to work with. So because I have experienced quite a few in my life, and I have to say, sometimes I behave like one because we all have good days and bad days. I was I was very uncomfortable working with them. And I, my, my, I would just, you know, uh, express my feelings in a less than positive way. But once I started understanding why they behave like that and what is actually a validation addict and how can you provide healthy validation to somebody who's either an addict or normative, right? it made my life easier. Right. So that would be probably my, my number one. Right. Another one that we never... Yes, go uh, ahead. Another one that we never get to, we will have to make people wait okay, to good. hear what the next one is. But I'm very intrigued. And no, seriously, just what you said, a positive validation and... and uh, Actually, just before we get to the second one, I am intrigued. Is it also like, you know, like in Malaysia, we have this power distancing. This, Absolutely. This, this, is it accentuated more in Malaysia because, you know, we've got our datos and our tansuis yes. and all that? Is that... Yeah. As so that's such an interesting observation. There are people who are addicted to external validation, mm. which is titles, uh, promotions, uh, you know, awards, etc. And I think in our country, mm. we are using a lot of this titles as a signal for external validation. Hmm. And once again, you can gain it in a healthy way, hmm. in a deserving way, but you can also use it to get a table in the restaurant, right. not necessarily because you serve the nation, right? So you're over-validating yourself. I love this. Okay, we'll continue with the other uh, pointers. We'll, we'll, we, you know, we want you to buy the book, so we'll just, yes, go, we through, we just, we'll just go through a few. I'm here with uh, Professor Lordana Padurian. Stay tuned to her Vantage BFM 89.9. But films, man. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Morning. This is Frida Liu, and this is her vantage where we speak to women of influence and leadership. I'm here uh, with Professor Loredana Padurian, Senior Associate Dean of Asia School of Business and International Faculty Fellow at MIT Sloan, uh, where she teaches a number of various executive education programs. And of course, we're talking about her new book called "The Job Is Easy, The People Are Not," uh, which you know has been something which has been something I've been waiting for a while. And you know, you you were talking about how um, you know there were ten things that you thought were very important, 10 smart skills, and you just touched on validation a little early on and how it can be positive and can also be negative, right? And of course, we want people to buy the book so they can see all the 10, but we'll talk about maybe two more. Sure. Right. So um, let, let me just talk about one that I also feel like it's severely underestimated, which is followership. We all hear about leadership. We all go through leadership training programs. We all hear about how important leadership is. But the truth is that, that leadership, it's only one part of the yin and yang mm. of being a professional. Most leaders actually have to follow more than they have to lead because you have to follow your mission, your vision, your people, your strategy, your direction. We also, you and I, have to practice a lot of followership, right? Mm. But we, we severely underestimate that and we don't teach people what followership is. And uh, like I said, I think of followership and leadership as the two, the two parts of the yin and yang. You cannot have one without another. 
And I, I learned about this in my work uh, in trying to help companies do digital transformation. And you might be surprised, it's technology, why do we talk about followership? But the truth is, if you don't agree with something, especially in our country where we don't openly disagree, mm. you're going to find ways to quietly boycott, right? quietly resist, uh, quietly find ways to justify why this is not going to happen, even though publicly you agree to this. And I thought when I saw so many examples of people being so resistant to change, that if we only practice a little bit of followership, after we had all the disagreements and, you know, we right. put everything on the table and we agree on it, then let's practice followership. Right. Because otherwise we're going, we're getting nowhere. So I am, you know me, I'm a revolutionary. I'm all for discourse and debate. Yeah. But once we agreed on something, let's all practice right. followership so we can move forward. Right. And I, I know that point. You know, sometimes like, you know, I will tell, you know, the, the owner of this company, I'll say, this is how I feel about this, but you are the leader, right? You are the, the owner of this company, so I will fall in this direction. But there are some things that I, I, I give my point of view. Absolutely. I understand that that's, that's that when when we quietly boycott and do things, that's very disruptive for the organization, very disruptive for myself, very disruptive for people around yeah. me. And, and actually, one of the things that I learned is that as a leader, if I create path for others to follow, mm -hmm. they will do a lot better than I can do myself. Right. But I have to create a path for others to follow. Mm -hmm. And not necessarily in my steps, but in the steps of what we're trying to build. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, what's another one? So another another surprising one that I actually heard about it about four years ago. It's called cognitive readiness. And I had to Google it when I find out about it. Uh, it was a study done by Pearson who looked at what is the most important trait in a CEO in our days. And they said it's this thing called cognitive readiness. So the more I learn about it, the more I realize that it's a truly essential skill. And like you said, for the book, I actually interviewed uh, uh, for each smart skill, I interviewed somebody else. And for this one, I interviewed Charlie Fine, who was the president of our school, and he's an MIT professor, who has this capacity to see the future in a way that we all found to be disturbing. How can you see the future? Like, do you have a special secret, you know, crystal ball? And he actually says that he practiced cognitive readiness, even though he also didn't know the word. So he right. says, now, thank you, you gave me the, the vocabulary. And it's a combination of two things. A healthy dose of healthy paranoia combined with a discipline that at MIT we call system dynamics. So let me talk about system dynamics first. System dynamics is the capacity to understand the relationships between different parts of the system mm. and how they impact each other. Right. For example, at the beginning of the COVID situation, Charlie said, I have a feeling this is going to last a lot longer than the three weeks or three months than they said. And I think it's going to take up to two years and it's going to affect the global he space. That. He said that we have it on record in one of the minutes. And we looked at him and we're like, oh, poor thing, you know, he's delusional. Delusional. <laughs> Maybe it's time to retire him. <laughs> and God damn it, he was right. <laughs> and, uh, and we kept asking him, how, how, how do you see this? And he said, well, I noticed what happened to China and how they had to close China and how they, they, the, the supply chains connected to China had to affect the rest of the Southeast Asia. Then the Southeast Asia got affected. The second I knew it's going to go to U.S., it's going to follow the same mm. process. So it's going to get amplified. Mm. And he said, and also a healthy dose of paranoia is very important, but healthy. Right. In the sense that paranoia, if... Uh, paranoia helps you prepare for the worst. Mm. And if you're using it from a healthy perspective, you create a plan. Right. But you also prepare mentally and emotionally. 
So you have to tell your organization, if worse comes to happen, don't worry, we're going to have this plan, plan forward. Right. But you, you can't practice negative paranoia, which is just sitting in a corner and stewing and predicting the end of the world. Right. So this two combine. And system dynamics is actually a mathematical model that with precision can tell you what's going to happen. We are using it now for modeling climate change mm-hmm. outcomes. And let me tell you, it's not very positive. Right. But then you got to be healthy paranoia. But then you have to have the healthy paranoia, absolutely, to put actions into place. Right. And like I said, don't just sit there and be... Okay. Now, when you look at this, though, right, do, do you have to be a well-read person? Do you have to be, you know, I mean, to to understand, does it, does it take a professor to be able to su- see this? Or is this something that, how can you develop this no, skill? No, you can, you can develop it. Obviously, I mean, to do the mathematical model of system dynamics, you right. have to have, I don't know how to do it myself. Mm. It's it's quite complicated. But as a, as a regular person, mm. you can think more from a system perspective rather than from your own limited, narrow perspective. For example, why do we have a shortage in our chicken Mm. in Malaysia? Well, you have to start looking around and instead of blaming bands or the Jaya Grocer, you have to understand that they are part of a system that is highly interconnected and impacted by everything that took place in the last two years. Mm. So it gives you a little bit less room for complaining without the cause, Mm. you know, Mm. because it starts to also help you think what is your role in all this. Right, right. Because in your own life, you also create a lot of complexities and you are part of a system that you affect one way or another. Right. So I guess like in organizations, if you talk about this, it's also um, as leaders, they should ask as a, a scary question yes. to the staff to get them thinking, mm-hmm. right? Okay, now that I've got you thinking, what do you think we should do? So there. yesterday I got this question in this program and somebody said, is this, you know, plan? Is this scenario planning? Yes, but not enough. In the sense that scenario planning mostly sits in somebody's drawer hmm. and you pull it out when, you know, the crisis hits. Right. I think what organizations can do is, in ours, what, what we did is we would have a yearly organizational transformation. Hmm. Because when you change every year quite dramatically, when the big change happens, you're not as right. shook, right? right? You're right. not as as uh, as uh, panicked. You're not as unprepared because mentally, cognitively, mm. you are ready for no matter what. Right. So it's a little bit of a muscle. Mm. If you never change, even when the small change happens, you're gonna feel, yeah. oh, how do I deal with it? If every year we you have some changes prepared, mm. premeditated, planned changes. If something unexpected and dramatic happens, you're going to be much more prepared than the other organization who's sort of like sleeping right. in right. and waiting for the worst to happen. Right. Okay. What was that? The, the, the rug pulled under your feet Absolutely. Right? because you were yeah. just never ready for these kind of changes. And the, the, the truth is that every advantage is temporary. Hmm. But okay. if you think that I'm okay, la, it's okay, I'm I'm government, I'm this, I'm that, nothing bad is going to happen. Well, let's look at the history. Right. You know, the Greek Empire thought they're going to dominate forever. The The British Empire thought that they are, look, look at them now, right? Right. So you can't really say I'm going to, I'm going to survive forever, especially in a fast moving world like today. Mm. Okay. So, um, and I guess at the end of the day, if someone were to read this book, what would you, what would be the key takeaway to take one point and sort of like Mm. dive deep into it? What would be the key takeaway? So I hope the book is easy to read because it's it's a series of interviews. So on purpose, I didn't want to make it very academic, very sort of, the, you could talk about this until the end of time. The primary message is this. Um, 
you are one of the people that are not easy. <laughs> you have to start with yourself, build a higher level of self-awareness, but also build a higher level of, of empathy, even though empathy is such an overly used word. But at, some, at the end of the day, we're all messed up. Right. And we're all messed up for different reasons. Mm. But if I keep adding to your mess, I only keep adding to my own mess. Mm. So will the job still be hard after this book? Yes. But maybe you're going to have a few days in a week when you're going to feel like, you know, I understand why. Mm. Let me give this person a pass and maybe let me give myself a pass. Right. And where can people get hold of the book? So for now, um, you can buy it on Amazon as an ebook, mm. but also you can order it on my website, which is profloredana.com or smartxsharp.com or just Google me. I'm that famous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Lordana Padurian, you've been listening to Her Vantage, BFM 89.9, always a joy. You've been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.